This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I'm Kennedy. I'm Bill Hemmer. I'm Sandra Smith, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, April 22nd, 2022. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. It may not be common to see members of a president's own party disagreeing with the commander in chief, but when it comes to the border and the overwhelming number of migrants coming, more Democrats are rejecting the president's current plans. Sometimes I feel that the metrics are used is how fast can you move the migrants from the border into the interior? I feel that's a metric that some in the administration are using. And I don't think that's the right matrix. You know, it's we ought to be looking at are we securing our border? And Lisa Brady, some economists predict millions of jobs will be lost to automation within this decade. But maybe the robot apocalypse won't be quite so apocalyptic. You don't have to be worried about like robots taking over. <laughs> um, it's not going to be like all those like uh, sci-fi movies or anything like that um, because there are limitations for the robots. And I'm Ben Dominich. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. More and more members of the president's own party are openly disagreeing with his handling of the border, specifically a plan to lift Title 42 in late May. The COVID policy has resulted in many migrants being turned away. And yet, even with this policy in place, the U.S.-Mexico border has seen record numbers of people coming. Those numbers are expected to increase even more without that health policy in place. Now, Michigan Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin, Virginia Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger, and Arizona Congressman Tom O'Halloran are speaking out. O'Halloran told Fox's Dana Perino Thursday. We have to have the court system that's going to be able to address uh, refugee issues and and address these uh, issues in a humane way. And uh, right now, I have seen none of that. And until I do, uh, I will continue to disagree with the president. Meanwhile, Fox News reporter Bill Malusian, who's been at the border for months in Texas, reported this week. The head of the Border Patrol Union tells us for the most part, agents have already stopped enforcing Title 42 when it comes to migrants from Guatemala, Honduras and El Salvador, those northern triangle countries. We are told for the most part, all the Title 42 expulsions are mostly Mexican citizens now. At a press conference Thursday, President Biden announced a new plan to let up to 100,000 Ukrainian refugees into the U.S., specifically saying this program will be fast, it will be streamlined and will ensure the United States honors its commitment to go to to the people of Ukraine and need not go through our southern border. The operator of a Ukrainian refugee organization in North Carolina told me last month that thousands of Ukrainians are at the border and were getting humanitarian parole there to enter the U.S. Under this new refugee plan, entering through Mexico will no longer be allowed. But As for Title 42, despite pushback from within his own party, the president also said there's been no decision made to extend it beyond late May. I'm hoping that the um, administration reconsiders its position and doesn't get rid of Title 42 on May 23rd. Henry Cuellar is a Democratic congressman from Texas. Because if you talk to the men and women on the ground, they will tell you they got a concern about the large numbers of people that are coming in 
into the uh, United States. And it's been estimated, and there's different numbers that Homeland would say that, you know, it could be 18,000 people a day, or it could be 10 to 12,000 people a day. Whatever the number is, that's a lot of people, whether it's 12,000 or 18,000 people a day that could come in, and that will give you some high numbers that we probably have not seen in the past. I want to ask you, earlier this week, our own Bill Malusian reported after hearing back from the, the government on his Freedom of Information Act request that 23 people were flagged on the terrorist screening database. I know you're aware of that. When asked about that, these 23 names that were flagged last year, the White House spokeswoman, Jen Psaki, said, you know, that only represents a tiny, tiny fraction of the number of people who are apprehended at the border. I'm wondering what your response to that response is, because, I mean, when you're talking about terrorism, it really only just takes one, doesn't it? That was going to be my answer. It was that all it takes is one individual with a motive, an evil motive, and then the uh, means to uh, cause damage. It just takes one person. 23 is too many. One is too many. And we got to understand this, that when you allow people to come through the southern border, and I know that the message is the border is not open, but the border is open in reality. All it takes is one person to say, you know what, I can go through the southern border of the of the United States and get into the U.S. And that's what worries me is that right now the criminal organizations of cartels haven't really joined with terrorist groups because, you know, their business, their cartels is to make money. So they don't want to be disrupted. But if, if some reason they do join then imagine the pipeline that could be established to get terrorists in. So again, 23 is a small number compared to the, let's say the 1 million people that were encountered by Border Patrol, but it just takes one person to do a lot of damage. Congressman, you are a Democrat. Um, <clears throat> other Democrats have, have sort of echoed what you're saying. They're, they're starting to, to become more concerned with lifting Title 42 and what the plan is. I know the Biden administration says they have a plan and that DHS is working on that. Have you heard more about this plan? Do you have any insight? Do other members of Congress have any insight? Has anybody from the administration said, here's what we're going to do? We're going to surge this number of people or this many number of agents like what do you know of the plan yes you know i've seen what their proposal is and you said you said it a while ago part of it is to surge officers from other parts of the country to the southern border but you know that it's going to be very temporary because if those officers are coming from the northern border it won't be long before the northern communities are going to say hey we want our officers down here so they can provide the security. So that response is temporary. But on top of that, keep in mind, it is sometimes I feel that the metrics are used is how fast can you move the migrants from the border into the interior? I feel that's a metric that some of the administration are using. And I don't think that's the right metrics. You know, it's we ought to be looking at are we securing our border? If you talk to Border Patrol from the Loreto sector or the Rio Grande sector, they will tell you that 40% of their men and women that are available are doing homeland security missions. That is, they're at the border. The other 60% are at the border processing centers, changing diapers, 
making food. In other words, taking care of the migrants. It's important work, but that's not the job of the Border Patrol. They didn't sign up to do that. So if we know that 40% of them are just doing their work and the other 60% are indoors taking care of migrants, I can tell you that the cartels know that information. And as they're busy in the border processing centers, then it's very easy to pass other people or pass drugs while the other 60% are busy. Congressman, this, of course, brings up that conversation about immigration reform, you know, the broad package, a broad discussion. I spoke to your colleague this week, Congressman Tony Gonzalez, and he said for him as a Republican, he'd be willing to talk, you know, more about work visas, more ways to give people the opportunity to work here, but that securing the border has to come first and that Republicans don't want to hear about a pathway to citizenship. Do you think that's something you could see Democrats being able to negotiate or talk about at this point, like after years of talking about immigration reform, will it ever happen? And could it happen with these metrics? Where are you on this? Well, it it certainly depends on what negotiations, uh, where we need to go to, because look, when you talk about immigration reform, it takes three things, border security, some sort of guest worker program, and then you got to do something about the 11 or 12 million undocumented aliens. Keep in mind that in 1986, a Republican president by the name of Ronald Reagan and a Democratic Congress, they did the last immigration reform that we had. They included amnesty. I'm not for amnesty. Can we do some sort of pathway? Yes. But even if we start off with the easy things that I think are no brainers, a a dream act should be easy to do. A, A guest worker plan should be something that we ought to do because look, Right now, we have jobs that Americans don't want to do. So let's get our economy moving by giving those jobs to people that want to do their job. And think about this. If we have a guest worker plan like the Bracero program that we had during World War II and after World War II, then we know who comes in. They'll pay their taxes. They'll go back and that will make Border Patrol's job easier because the people that want to come in for a job have a different uh, method, the process. And then the other people that have different motives, then Border Patrol can control on that. But I'll finish this. Tony Gonzalez and I can probably sit down. He's a friend of mine. We're both in appropriations. We can sit down and work this out, I think, rather easily. But unfortunately, there are political aspects of it that will probably not allow the Democratic Party or the Republican Party to get to this. Before I let you go, I have to ask about midterms. You are facing in your primary a more progressive candidate, I guess. That's what I read. uh, Jessica Cisneros. I know with redistricting in the state, the area is a little bit more blue that you represent, but but not by much. And Latinos, according to some polling, are becoming a little bit more friendly to some Republican messaging. What do you make of your district now? What's your plan here as you head into a runoff? Well, you know, certainly when you have an opponent that is for open borders, wants to defund the police, wants to get rid of oil and gas jobs, wants to cut eyes in half, wants to turn Border Patrol agents, and I quote, into environmentalist officers to patrol the river, so, you know, check the quality of the river, then there is a big difference between the far left and myself, and we will win the uh, primary. Now, going into the November election, 
yeah, some of the messaging coming in from the national level is not good for Democrats. But I think I've insulated myself well enough where I stand for Border Patrol, stand for oil and gas, making sure as a Hispanic, I understand the values that are important, the hard work, the conservative part of many Hispanics. So I think I'm in tune with my congressional district itself. But as you know, the national politics, first I got to beat a far left progressive person. And then from there, we'll go ahead and win in November. Finally, I I know your attorney has said that you've been informed that that FBI investigation that resulted in a raid of your home and office is not focused on you, that you're not the target. You've been quiet about all of this. I imagine your constituents, though, want to know more about this, especially as they get ready to vote. Can you share more about what all happened here? Well, I will just repeat what my attorney said, and that is, uh, first of all, I'll say this. I have three brothers who are peace officers, and I have a great respect for law enforcement, been a big supporter of law enforcement, uh, number one. Number two, we are cooperating. Uh, number three, I certainly know what my attorney said, that we're not the target of the investigation. And uh, finally, I would say that at the end of the day, it will show that there was no wrongdoing, and I have faith that the voters understand that and i have faith in my voters that we will win the primary and then we will win the november election do you have faith that the fbi will conclude this or come to some conclusion before you run or does that matter to you well uh, again you know we don't uh know what sort of pace uh any of the uh, law enforcement is in but i will tell you that at the end of the day it will show that we did no wrongdoing congressman Cuellar, thank you so much for your time Thank you. You have a wonderful day. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. This is Ben Dominich with your Fox News commentary coming up. The warnings have been around for a while now that more robots are coming. A lot more. I think it would be insane to just sit back and and watch this automation wave overtake our communities and our economy. Andrew Yang sounding the alarm during his presidential run in 2019, telling Fox's Tucker Carlson. We need to evolve. We need to actually start pushing the way we think of economic progress to include how our families are doing, how our children are doing. And that was before the pandemic's impact on the job market. Last year, McKinsey Global Institute updated its prediction of how many Americans will lose jobs to automation. 45 million, one quarter of the workforce by the year 20. 30. But the Slate article that references that study also notes the distinction between automation and robots. For instance, elevator operators weren't replaced by robots, but by buttons we can push ourselves. Chipotle is testing a robot known as Chippy for making chips. But CEO Brian Nickel says it's more about the cost and size coming down enough to make robotics more feasible in their restaurants. Well, the way we approach robotics and automation really has been what we're calling kind of co-robotics. 
weeks. You know, we literally went out, we followed our crew in the restaurants. We're mm -hmm. trying to find the jobs that are the jobs that make the Chipotle job more difficult. And how do we eliminate those elements? He tells Fox and Friends they're using robots alongside workers. That's where a company like Rich Tech Robotics comes in. They make products, including hotel delivery robots, automated units for disinfecting and sweeping, and robotic arms. So uh, Rich Tech has over uh, 20 years experience in AI development, and our developments are based on visual AI. Miko Zhang is their marketing director. And what we do is to uh, use our robotic technology to simulate the human workforce and develop those solutions into existing workflow. So just now I mentioned the workforce and workflows, which is something that uh, a lot of businesses are facing the difficulties right now, right? Because of pandemic and people are having labor issues, operational problems. And that is why our solutions have become more and more popular. Hmm. I know your slogan is revolutionary robotic workers. Mm -hmm. what, what kinds of robots are you selling in essence and, and who's buying them? Um, what we do is we um, we use our robotic solutions to fix our clients' problems. So we have different solutions we offer at Rich Tech. For example, we have Adam, which is the two-armed robot that assists with repetitive tasks that are usually done by hands. And it has the audio interaction, we can make small talk with you, and around the chest, there is an Intel AI camera that helps helps Adam interact more. Um, so we have clients, for example, cruise ship companies. Uh, they like to use Adam uh, to make the events more interesting on the cruise ship. And we have uh, casino clients. Uh, not only they use Adam, they also use our delivery robot, um, which is a Mitchell D. So Mitchell D is autonomous food runners that are designed to make a service job easier. So we're not, we're, so our robots or the robotic solutions are here to assist the staff in a workplace and to implement robotic solutions, the technology into their workflow. Uh, we have a lot of big clients in the hotel industry, casinos, uh, fast and casual food chains, uh, and some upscale restaurants as well. Those are industries that not only had a you know hard time during the pandemic when no one was going anywhere, but have also had a hard time hiring people back as things started to open back up again. Did your client base start jumping noticeably soon after the pandemic hit, or has it accelerated more as things reopen, or both? Yeah, uh, I would say it's a little bit of both. So um, during pandemic, uh, a lot of people use the time, a lot of businesses, they use the time to think about what they want to do in the future, right? So corporations, they might sit down and to think about what we want to do in the next phrase for the company. And very often they want to bring in some new technologies or technologies that can help them to improve their efficiency or optimize their current process. And uh, after everything reopens, like you mentioned, there are a lot of, uh, lot of business are facing the difficulty of getting people back. So 
with the limited workforce, they implement our uh, robotic solutions into their current workflow to make everything a little bit more efficient. Because what we do here is we uh, take care of the repetitive and simple tasks, right? So your uh, valuable employees can do a lot of more uh, important work and they can develop more. There is concern now more than ever, though, about job loss from automation, that that could outpace the creation of new jobs driven by technology, for instance. Um, You know, does your company face that kind of concern and criticism? Do you hear that from people? Yeah, so uh, we do hear that from people, and there's this is also the concern from like business owners, and uh, so what we do here, we're not replacing anyone, we're not taking any jobs away, we are actually implement the technology into your current existing workflow. So uh, we're trying to open up, optimize the things you already have. And uh, we're not changing your process because, you know, a lot of corporations, the big companies, they already have their like standard process and changing that process is a lot of trouble for a business. So we don't want to do that. And we also don't want to add additional things to your current things because like if it's a new thing, then you have to like spend a lot of time to try to adjust to it. So we offer the overall solution to implement it to your current existing workflow. We're not changing anything. We're just making everything more smooth. What about people, though, or industries or workers who are concerned that, you know, we may actually be heading for a time of like a robot, you know, apocalypse where <laughs> where many more things are handled by robots than what many humans may be comfortable with, um, especially in the supply chain, for instance, you know, could a product could be made and then packed and transported by automated truck. Um, you know, in certain industries, it seems like the more automation is used, the fewer jobs might survive. Yeah, so um, so think about the time before we have computer, we still got the job done, right, just in a different way. And then we have like smart computers, intelligent PCs, and, uh, and people like adapt to it quickly, right? And now like computers or those technologies, just, they're just tools that can help people do a job better. Like there, there's definitely like a limitation in the technology industry now, right? There's no way that we can automate everything. So right now, currently, uh, our technologies or the current technologies that we can just help with the repetitive tasks. Do you have anything for the at-home market right now, or is that something you'll be looking to in the future? Yeah, so for Richtag, we are uh, fully a B2B enterprise solution provider. Um, so we um, so we only have like business solutions at the moment. You're, are you are you thinking about home solutions eventually or or not quite yet or can't say quite yet? I can't say quite. Yet. Okay. <laughs> um, anything that you want to say to people who are nervous about the automation trend in general? Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, there's like, you don't have to be worried about 
like robots taking over. <laughs> um, it's not going to be like all those like uh, sci-fi movies or anything like that um, because there are limitations for the robots. But with all those high-tech technologies, uh, most of what we do is to use the technology to simulate the workforce and implement the robotic technology into your current existing workflows. So we're not replacing anyone. We're not really taking any jobs away. We are just providing the tools that can help people do a job better. Miko Zhang, Marketing Director of Rich Tech Robotics. We thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much. News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And now, some good news with Tanya J. Powers. An artist who spent much of his life in New York City is bringing a positive message to Brooklyn following this month's subway attack there. Charlie Hewitt is a printmaker, painter, and sculptor, and before moving to Maine, he spent decades living in New York City, which still holds a special place in his heart. He told me about his new work. It's a piece that spells out the word hopeful, H-O-P-E-F-U-L. I designed it in a way that it's artistic. It has arrows and life and forms and shapes, and I built it around a retro image of marquee signs, uh, say from Route 66. Hopeful is on digital billboards that sit atop the entrance to two subway stations where the attack happened. I just knew it immediately that I had to put something in, in Brooklyn saying that I, myself, Charlie Hewitt, as an artist, just wants to thank you for your courage and for your service, and I wish you the best of, of life, and hopefully this message will illuminates you on your passage into those tunnels. Charlie originally brought the hopeful artwork to New York City as a thank you to frontline workers during the pandemic and told me the response to it has been humbling. The response is nothing I'm used to as a studio artist in my 54 years of painting. I'm 75 this year and I've found myself uh, just overwhelmed by the need for this message, the appreciation for, for this message and the fact that it's become so significant to so many first responders and people all around who have to you know, live in this life of uh, uncertainty. If you're going to put a public piece, you better think about the response. And now we don't always get it right, but in this case, I nailed it. It came from the heart. Tanya J. Powers, Fox News. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Ben Dominic. What's on your mind? For years, smart analysts and consultants have maintained that the natural location of Hispanic voters was within the Republican tent. They've also maintained, despite evidence to the contrary, that hardline policies and aggressive rhetoric about immigration policies was a key barrier to reaching those voters. Despite one indication after another that Hispanic voters don't view themselves as closely connected to the immigrant experience and that their priorities are the same economic, education, health care, crime and security concerns shared by most American voters, politicians continue to adopt this false frame of what mattered most. 
A candidate who rejected this frame, as Donald Trump did, ultimately performed far better than anyone expected with Hispanics for that reason. And lower down from the presidential level, the performance of GOP politicians who paired their focus on kitchen table concerns with an attitude toward Hispanic voters that felt less like outreach and more like talking to any constituent reaped benefits at the ballot box. This development belied the assumptions post-2016 that many observers had about Trump's success, that it depended on a rapidly diminishing group of elderly voters who would soon depart the scene without being replaced by anyone new. This thought process suggested Trump's coalition was a temporary thing, a bet on a declining stock, and that the old bitter clingers would depart the stage soon enough, with a natural leftist coalition ready to replace it. This has quite obviously turned out not to be true. There's one more aspect of this that should not go unappreciated. The left's aggressive shift on culture war issues is absolutely a factor in the Hispanic move to the right. And this is important because it raises the potential that Democrats have exchanged their coalition of the ascendant, the demographic destiny that once was their guiding light, for a coalition of well-educated suburban white women whose cultural priorities look a lot more like Wendy Davis and less like any Hispanic mother. There's an entire set of people who thought that it was a good idea to threaten boycotts of Goya while going after those awful border agents who were whipping innocent migrants on the border. For shame, good old Joe Biden promised he'd bring them to justice. Of course, it turned out they weren't whipping anyone at all. They were just using their reins to do their job. This is the situation that the Democrats are running into at a amazing pace. They are really going to end up driving Hispanic voters out of their coalition in exchange for voters who have their own cultural priorities. And in doing so, they're setting themselves up for a disaster, not just this November, but in the long term. As America becomes a more diverse nation, as it becomes one where Hispanics uh, in particular have an outsized role in determining who wins elections, the Democratic Party has decided that they are going to reject everything that these voters value when it comes to the culture, when it comes to family, when it comes to police and law enforcement, when it comes to the stability of their communities in exchange for a cultural agenda that is not in any way one that will bring them into their coalition. This is foolishness. It's completely at odds with their own political priorities, but they're doing it because you know that it's where their donors really believe the future ought to be. That's something that is completely backwards. It's at odds with what they ought to be doing, but we should understand it as an opportunity for Republicans and for conservatives and those who have traditional values to make their case even more strongly. I'm Ben Domenech. Listen and subscribe to the Ben Domenech podcast, which you can find at foxnewspodcast.com. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.